Welcome to The Sky's the Limit with host Dee Brown, the president and CEO of the P3 Group, the nation's largest minority public private partnership real estate developer. Here's Dee. Joining me on this episode of The Sky's the Limit is Naya Blair Hackworth. Naya is a compassionate, strategic, and experienced diversity and inclusion thought leader and educator. She has committed her life to guiding and supporting individuals and organizations with their intercultural competence, as well as fostering communities of belonging. After spending over a decade working at higher education institutions, Blair Hackworth joined the NCAA Office of Inclusion in August 2019. She is also the founder and principal consultant at 184 Ross Coaching and Consulting. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Naya Blair Hackworth to the Sky's the Limit. Naya, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. You, you have a really interesting background, and I really want to get into some of the details, so let's just jump right into it. Now, your background, both educationally and professionally, showed that you have a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Tell me a little bit of why you're so compassionate about this, this area. Yes, I started my commitment in diversity, equity, inclusion before it was like a cool thing. Um, it really started without going to a long story um, with my undergraduate experience at the University of Central Arkansas, being a first generation college student. Minority services, that was the office called at the time, really played an instrumental role in my development and my transition to college. And I worked, I became a student worker and mentors who are part of that office. And I really got exposed to the work then. And, but even before then in high school, I was passionate about like doing Black History Month programs and different things like that. I really think there was a seed somewhere in my life planted yeah. early on that <laughs> it just continued to be watered. And once I realized that I could do this work as a career and really make a difference in this way, it really continued to fuel my drive. And I've grown a lot and still growing in the space and just recognizing the importance and need of having conversations, changing policies, thinking about more opportunities and thinking about things in a more inclusive way. But you started off uh, majoring in English, right? And so then you transitioned, uh, obviously, you're doing your educational journey into the DEI space. So were there some classes or things that occurred in college that kind of transitioned you from English to this DEI professional career? Again, working in minority services, I had, unfortunately, uh, throughout my, a few times in my college career, I had some uh, negative experiences with discrimination and things and trying to figure out where I belong and how I belong. And then I discovered also African-American studies. So I was an African-American studies minor and just really learned more about my culture. Those things coupled with thinking about what do I want to do that really brings me this excitement. And I was a part of mentorship programs that all had this diversity, equity, inclusion component to it. And, and it took a while because when I went to graduate school at the University of Arkansas, I worked at the library and I worked at minority services and did a few other things. And everything kept drawing me back to diversity, equity, inclusion work. And so having a degree in higher education, I really wanted to be able to make a difference at that time for college students who looked like me based off of some of the experiences I had. And again, it just, the career kind of morphed and evolved the more I stayed in it. Since college, you've had a number of positions in higher education in the multicultural area, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so over the career, three universities that you've worked at in these areas. 
Tell me a little bit about your previous professional experience in this area and how that prepared you to take the lead at the NCAA Office of Inclusion. I started out my career at LSU working in African American Culture Center. And so being able to again create programs and initiatives that support African American students, but also that educated the campus about African American culture. And so that's where I really honed my skills and grew with some phenomenal mentors who I had the opportunity to work with. And then after spending a few years there, then I went back to my home state, Arkansas State, and was able to kind of revamp their multicultural center there and work with non-traditional students and I uh, helped revamp what a program called A-State Connection that they still do today. They help recruit minority students and, and telling minority students about college and particularly Arkansas State University and being able to help non-traditional students, older students be able to be successful in college and feel like they belong in the space as well and being able to support minority male program. So at Arkansas State, there was a program, a male program, as well as a female program that really helped, again, African-American students at the time with their academic development, personal development, and mentorship. So those were great experiences. And then I moved to Houston and was the inaugural director at the University of Houston, where it was still a career high for me, was able to create a department from scratch with some awesome team where really we were doing some phenomenal work for the entire campus, creating trainings, programs, supporting Black, Brown students, our LGBTQ population, women. And so being able to, to do that work on a larger level and make contributions campus-wide was really helpful. And so when you think about all those experiences that I had in these three different institutions, when I thought about like, what's the next thing I want to do in my career, I knew it wanted to be in diversity, equity, inclusion, but I wasn't sure, like, do I want to get out of higher ed? Do I want to stay in higher ed? And because higher ed is very important to me, and again, where I started my career, I felt like being able to work at the NCAA supporting student athletes, another population that doesn't always get the support holistically, thinking about their identities outside of the student, and then I'm like, okay, I can marry that piece of working on a college campus, understanding how college campus works, as well as athletics. I had some experiences at LSU and at University of Houston collaborating with the athletics, but being able to support so many student athletes on such a large level and being able to support those who teach and lead them as well at the Office of Inclusion. And it really was a great transition and was a, was a great opportunity for me to take my past experiences as well as develop some new experiences by being now the director in the Office of Inclusion at the NCAA. Well, you know, uh, I think now more than ever before, everyone realized the importance of the work that you're doing in this, this very critical area. And so it's, it's people like you that are really making an impact and a difference on the world uh, as a whole to make it a better place and more inclusive workspaces and overall. Now at the NCAA, are there any key initiatives that you're working on there? Yeah, well, one, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. And it's, it's all, all accurate. <laughs> We're working on a lot of things within the Office of Inclusion. We're supporting student athletes in terms of helping them recognize their voice and utilize their voice to developing resources for student athletes around activism. We have a new designation uh, within our different uh, athletic departments and conference offices. It's called ADID. So it's the Athletics Diversity Inclusion Designee. 
and this person helps with diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives on the campuses, working with student athletes, so creating resources and opportunities for them. We're also supporting and continuing to support and elevate our efforts around supporting our HBCUs. And so um, recently partnered with our leadership development department to help us launch a mentoring program called Arise, where we're partnering with the Athleta Foundation. So we have a lot of key initiatives and those are things just within my wheelhouse, also creating a, a diversity resource guide for the membership as well. So we have a lot of different things that we're, we're trying to do to continue to support student athletes, coaches and administrators. Now, you know, obviously that's a, a big job, a challenging job that you have. What are you seeing as the, the biggest challenges in the uh, DEI space right now? I think the biggest challenge overall in the, the DEI space is there's so much to do. And, right. you know, oftentimes there are not a lot of people within departments able to do it. So we're trying to manage multiple things and then also be able to recognize that you can't do everything and you know and in some elements you feel like you're behind and the biggest challenge is realizing like what can you do because there's so much to be done and making those hard decisions to figure out what that looks like right establishing the priorities so that you can get caught up with trying to do so many different things that you won't get anything accomplished so you have to set those priorities and i guess your passion for the space led to you founding and becoming the principal consultant at uh, 184 Ross Coaching and Consulting, LLC. And obviously you're still doing work in the DEI space uh, with your consulting firm. Tell me a little bit about the company and the type of work you're doing there. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I've been a consultant for about seven or eight years now. And the company is named uh, after a street I grew up on, a tribute to my great grandmother and the elders who, you know, that community of people who yeah. raised me and helped me realize the importance of community and belonging and the value of that, as well as religion and all of those different things. And so right. at 184 Ross Coaching and Consulting, we provide um, coaching and training, intercultural development training, um, using the IDI, the Intercultural Development Inventory for organizations and individuals who want to increase their intercultural competence. We provide small and large group trainings for organizations as well, as well as higher education institutions. And we help organizations with diversity, equity, inclusion, strategic planning. And so there's a team of individuals that are part of a company and we work really hard to, again, to advance the work within the DEI space. Now, in addition to all the work that you're doing, you worked in the minority male leadership space, and that's obviously a very critical space, especially for male athletes of color. Talk to me more about what, what you've done and accomplished in this area. Yes. So I haven't had a chance to create a, or work with a minority male program with some student athletes, but at my time at Arkansas State and at the University of Houston, was able to work with programs specifically targeting African-Americans or African-American and Hispanic males and biracial males as well, helping them again, either there are three components. One with their academics, making sure that they're successful in the classroom, they have the tools and the resources that they needed, and being able to provide those things to them. Because sometimes our male students are not always seeking out those resources. And so being able to meet them where they're at and bring those opportunities and make them aware of those opportunities. And then connecting them to community. And so what does that look like? You know, for some students, this is their first time going to college and they're trying to find their place and they're trying to find out 
where they belong. And then even when they, they're there, they're going through so many different parts of development, right? That, that we all have in our lives. And so being able to pair them with their peer mentors to help them make that transition in school and be successful. But then the other piece is connecting them with a mentor in their profession. So helping them think about what is your long-term goal? You know, when you graduate, what's the plan? And who can help you even get to graduation? And so being able to have those different components, a part of the minority male program, leadership program, really helps males who participate in the program be successful throughout their collegiate career. Yeah, and that's uh, something that's highly needed, especially in communities of color, right? Just having mentorships and role models. Uh, coming from a rural Mississippi uh, Delta town where, you know, we didn't have a, a lot of role models and, and people that, you know, to look up to. And so it's, uh, it's a challenge when you have to go out, first generation uh, college student, and you don't have anyone to ask all of these questions that you have. You can't, you know, you don't know where to go for answers because there's no one that uh, really have had that experience that can give those answers to you. So Again, that's really great work that you're doing. You host a number of, of workshops and forums, one of which is entitled In Intent Versus Impact. That particular workshop, uh, as I understand, was really designed to bring awareness to how biases impact individuals, both consciously and unconsciously. Talk to me more about that workshop and, and what your goals are with it. Yeah, thank you. That workshop has started a little bit with, during my time at the University of Houston, but through my consulting company, 184 or Ross Coaching and Consulting, we also do a version, an iteration of that. And it's really talking about microaggressions. And so microaggressions are subtle uh, insults, harmful things that happen to people who are from minoritized backgrounds tend to be. And so the, the, the premises of the intent versus impact is that sometimes we can say or do things that we don't realize that are part of our unconscious or conscious biases that right. really have a negative impact on people being in the classroom or be it in the workspace. And so it helps us to think about, you know, when we say things like, oh, you know, your hair is so pretty, or you keep changing your hair up. Like, is that your summer hair? You know, I've had those different things said to me, and those could be slight points of, of a microaggression. So your intent may be to say like, oh, now it was just a compliment. But then are you complimenting and how are you saying that to other people who maybe right. not change their hair up, you know, as often? And that's a little, you know, that's a small one, but it's one that I know as an African-American female has impacted me a lot. And so the point, again, of that workshop opportunity is to help us to be more aware of how our, our biases where we may not even realize can come across as negative and hurtful. And when a person continues to experience that, Cullen, who does some of this work on microaggressions, talk about it's a pylon principle and people will pop. It can have, you know, long lasting impact. Right. Some people don't want to have that conversation, right? Because they feel that they, they're being attacked when you call their attention to words or actions that do have these impacts and consequences and do send, send out signals of racial biases and prejudices. It's a tough conversation to have. I think even now in this country, a lot of people still run from that conversation, but it's one that's very important and one that needs to be, be had. And so in light of everything that's been going on over the last couple of years with COVID-19, recent racial issue, issues in the country and the mental health impact that both COVID-19 and the, the separation from our normal activities have had. How have you seen that impact the student athlete and what type of steps are you all taking at NCAA to help combat the problems that have stemmed from all of this? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. You know, 
again, with the murder of, of George Floyd and just the continuing racial issues that, you know, you mentioned that happened in this country. It's one of being able to provide a platform for student athletes to talk about this in an in open and real way, because I think a lot of times, just in general as a society, we only see athletes as athletes and we forget that there are other dimensions of who they right. are. Right. So, you know, race impacts people in, in various ways. And so our office in the Office of Inclusion has provided virtual programs where we have student athletes come on and share their experiences. We're providing resources not only for student athletes, but those coaches and administrators who support student athletes so that they can help, you know, better understand what their student athletes may be experiencing. And we've also worked with different entities to provide resources on brave conversations. So how to have these conversations because people are a lot of time uncomfortable. They don't want to say the wrong thing. They avoid it. There's a lot of different things that go on. And so we provide some steps and resources about how they can do that in, in meaningful ways. And then when it comes to mental health, we work with our Sports Science Institute, who leads our mental health area, and we had a diverse student athlete mental health summit. And from there, we've got a lot of great data and working on next steps on how to be able to utilize that information, again, to share with the NCAA membership to utilize to best support student athletes in their mental health, as well as their racial identity. Well, you know, uh, one of the major topics that, that, that's up for discussion right now in the country is the possible appointment of a fee- African-American female to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, since 1789, there has been 115 justices appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. 108 of those have been white men. I think this uh, statistic highlights the importance of the work that you're doing in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I want to hear from you, from someone that has been so passionate about the DNI area and have basically dedicated your career to diversity, equity, and inclusion. What do you think the importance or the impact of having an African-American female appointed to the highest court of the land, what type of impact it would have on the country and the, and the morale of African-American women and women of color? It's a wonderful opportunity as well overdue. I think that the more we can have diverse representation on the Supreme Court, the better it is for all of us. Black women have been always contributing and educated and deserving of opportunities such as the Supreme Court, like every other person. And and in this case, I think by providing this opportunity, it shows us what we already know, that that we deserve to have a place and that we're just as capable in our contributions Um, And our background and our experiences matter just like everyone else. So I hope that happens. It's unfortunate that, you know, not everyone sees the value of that. But I think that, again, it's long overdue and hopefully it happens. No, that's that's a very important statement you made there at the end. Some people don't see the importance of having diversity. And I know within my organization, you know, the guys that work here and the women that work here, when we all collaborate, the women always bring out points and the points of views that guys that sometimes just totally miss, like very, very valid and relevant, you know, points that are that are very uh, critical to our long-term success and su- uh, sustainability. And so it's that diversity of thought and ideas that really make an organization robust and make a, an organization have longevity. It's really sad that everyone don't see that for what it is. And uh, kind of pivoting back to the different forums and workshops that you've had, you hosted a forum called Leading with an Inclusive Mindset. And I, for one, believe that a person's mindset is cornerstone of, of, of their success. So as a man thinketh, 
so shall he become, right? And so talk to me about this particular forum and your goal and mission behind it. Yeah, when I got this question, I'm like, look, they did their research, they didn't fail. <laughs> 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 so, but leading with an inclusive mindset is really thinking about going beyond our first thought. Because sometimes our first thought, it's not that it's bad, but we're just thinking about things from our own perspective. And so right. thinking about things beyond your perspective and thinking about, you know, various ways that other people might view or see a situation. So just like how you were talking about how the phenomenal women on your team bring these different diversity of, you know, thought ideas. And so it's important to think about things. And, and when we think in an inclusive way, not just, it's not negating our experiences and not negating how we see things, but it's, it is, it's an end. And it's also including other people's perspective and thought. We can have more of a reach and a more of an understanding when we're right. thinking about things in a way that just does not focus only on our way of seeing and doing things. And we're able to, I think, reach out and, and touch more people and make more meaningful differences and, and form a more sense of community when we're doing that. And so that workshop really talks about that and provides some different examples and ways to think about things in an inclusive mindset. And I think that, again, we would get so much further as a world and society if we didn't think about things in just one way or or our way of thinking only. Right. Now, you've had a very successful career in this space. What advice would you give anyone that's considering a, a career in the diversity, equity and inclusion space? It's not just a trend. It's not easy. You do have to have not only a level of passion for the work, but you have to do the work day in and day out. It's not about doing the work when you're at the job. It's about how are you living your principles and lives. And none of us are perfect, right? And I don't know right. everything about diversity, equity, inclusion, but I'm, I'm constantly educating myself. I'm constantly challenging myself. If someone wants to pursue a career in diversity, equity, inclusion, and say, you know, get some education, be it, you know, formal in terms of the degree, or now there are, you know, different certificates that are available, get some experience working in, in that, be it volunteering, or if you're working in corporate, being a part of an employee engagement group, those are different ways that you can kind of get your way into the space. But recognizing that's not always easy and sometimes it's lonely because you're doing things <laughs> and you're making people, you know, think about things sometimes that they haven't thought about. And so right. but it is rewarding because you're planting seeds. And that's how I look at the work. I'm planting the seed and hopefully, you know, the seeds that I plant will grow into beautiful gardens. And sometimes right. <laughs> beautiful gardens. it's my job to plant a seed there. Um, and I feel blessed to be able to do it. And, and also the last thing I'll say is that doing this work, not only do you learn so much about others, but you learn so much about yourself. And when right. you're able to learn from others too, that helps diversify how you think and move in the world as well. I know within my organization, uh, I have a big focus, obviously, as an African-American man, a male, uh, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what I found out about, you know, really being passionate about that area is that it makes you a better person uh, because you become really keenly aware of the impact that your decisions and your actions have on other people, on their families, on their well-being. And so I think it makes you a better person. So it's a very re rewarding area to, to be focused on. And so I would kind of close out this, the, the uh, show with one last uh, question for you. You've dedicated your life to DEI, 
and uh, you've had a great career doing so. But what's on the horizon for you? What do you see in the future for you? That's a good question. Well, one, let me give you kudos as a leader for really not only thinking about diversity and inclusion, but executing in your role, right? And I think that Thank that's you. how change happens. And you don't have to have a, a diversity office or a person to do that, right? It takes individual acts and it, and it right. starts at the top. So thanks for you know being one of those leaders who model the way. What's next for me? I'm currently working on my um, doctoral degree in organizational leadership. So I need to get done at that in the next few months or so. Um, and then, you know, my goal is to not only continue to grow my consulting company, but to serve as a vice president or chief diversity officer. Uh, that may be in higher education, but that may also be in corporate America um, or a nonprofit. So I'm open because you just never know, you know, how God blesses you in different ways. Right, right. Um, but I'm, I'm just continue to be committed to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work. And so whatever I do, I know that that will have some type of a tie. That work will have always have some type of tie with what I'm doing. Sounds good. Well, I know you'll be doing and continue to do great things. Hey, I really appreciate you being on my podcast. It was a great interview. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Naya Blair Hackworth, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. Please, you know, and just... Um, one way or, or, or our way of thinking only. Right. Now, uh, you've had a very successful career uh, in this space. What, what advice would you give anyone that's considering a, a career in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space? Yeah, thank you. I think one that is not just a trend, is not easy. Um, you do have to have not only a level of passion for the work, but you have to do the work day in and day out. It's not about doing the work when you're at the job. It's about how are you living your principles and lives. And none of us are perfect, right? And I don't know right. everything about diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, but I'm, I'm constantly educating myself. I'm constantly challenging myself. And so, you know, if someone wants to pursue a career in diversity, equity, inclusion, and say, you know, get some education, be it, you know, formal in terms of the degree, or now there are, you know, different certificates that are available, get some experience working in, in that, be it volunteering or if you're working in corporate, uh, being a part of an employee engagement group, um, those are different ways that you can kind of get your way into the space. But recognizing that, um, it's not always easy and sometimes it's lonely because you're doing things and you're making people, you know, think about things sometimes that they haven't thought about. And so right. but it is rewarding because you're planting seeds. And that's how I look at the work. I'm planting the seed and hopefully, you know, the seeds that I plant will grow into, you know, beautiful gardens. And sometimes right. beautiful gardens, but <laughs> it's my job to plant a seed there. Um, and I feel blessed to be able to do it. And, and also the last thing I'll say is that doing this work, not only do you learn so much about others, but you learn so much about yourself. And when right. you're able to learn from others too, that helps diversify how you think and move in the world as well. Right, right. I believe that, um, I know within my organization, uh, I have a big focus, uh, obviously as an African-American man, a male uh, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what I found out about you know, really being passionate about that area is that it make you a better person uh, because you become really keenly aware of the impact that your decisions and your actions have on other people, on their families, on their well-being. And so I think it makes you a better person. So uh, it's um, a very re rewarding area to, to be focused on. And so I would kind of close out this, the, the uh, show with one last uh, question for you. 
Uh, you've dedicated your life to DEI, and uh, you've done a, a, a had a, a great career doing so. But what's on the horizon for you? What do you see in the future for you? That's a good question. Well, one, let me give you kudos as a leader for really not only thinking about diversity and inclusion, but executing in your role, right? And I think that Thank that's you. how change happens. And you don't have to have a, a diversity office or a person to do that, right? It takes individual acts and it, and it right. starts at the top. So thanks for you know being one of those leaders who model the way. What's next for me? I'm currently working on my um, doctoral degree in organizational leadership. So I need to get done with that in the next few months or so. Um, and then, you know, my goal is to not only continue to grow my consulting company, but to serve as a vice president or a chief diversity officer. Uh, that may be in higher education, but that may also be in corporate America um, or a nonprofit. So I'm open because you just never know, you know, how God blesses you in different ways. Right, right. Um, but I'm, I'm just continue to be committed to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work. And so um, whatever I do, I know that that will have some type of a tie. That work will have always have some type of tie with what I'm doing. Sounds good. Well, I know you'll be doing and continue to do great things. Uh, Naya, I really appreciate you being on my podcast. It was a great interview. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Naya Blair Hackworth, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. The P3 Group is a proud supporter of HBCUs. We recognize the value of our HBCUs that have filled the educational gap for communities of color for more than a century. As one of the nation's leading real estate development firms, we recognize that the real value of building community is in empowering its people. We are the P3 Group. Design, build, finance. You can bank on us. This has been The Sky's the Limit with D. Brown. To find out more about D, go to dbrownceo.com or Google D. Brown CEO. And to connect with the P3 Group, check out thep3groupinc.com. The Sky's the Limit is a production of self-made D. Brown CEO.